I want to begin by wishing all of our mothers a very happy Mother's Day. We're happy that you have come to spend part of this day with us. And we hope that as you spend this time with us, you will be encouraged and that you will sense some of the love that your children and family and friends have for you on this day. St. Augustine, who is best known as the Bishop of Hippo in northern Africa during the late 4th and early 5th centuries, credited his own mother, Monica, with praying him into faith in Christ and praying him into the life of the church. It is said that Monica never ceased to pray day and night for her son, asking the Lord to convert her son and to save him from himself, from his philosophical wanderings and his sexual experiences. And she was heard because of her reverence. Augustine's love for his mother and his gratitude for her prayers never waned through the course of his life. In fact, at one point he said, give me praying mothers and I will rescue the world. Without praying mothers, where would we be? I'm no Saint Augustine, but I can say that my own late mother's prayers kept me anchored to the Lord Jesus from my childhood on, and her prayers helped me become the man in Christ that I am to this day. I can't tell you how many times I came home late at night to see her. sitting at the table. Writing out her, her prayers for her sons, her daughter, her family and friends. And so I'm very thankful for mothers. I'm very thankful for prayer. And especially for mothers who pray. And that brings us to the heart of our sermon passage today, which is on prayer. Jesus teaches us to do righteousness, not to be seen by men, but to be seen by our Father in secret. You have undoubtedly heard that righteousness is legal, that God declares sinners to be innocent and he counts them righteous by grace through faith in Christ. He imputes righteousness to them. You've also heard that righteousness is relational, that it involves your standing before God and before men. And both of these views are true, right, and good in their own ways. But Jesus adds another layer to righteousness here that we need to take seriously. He teaches us that righteousness is moral and practical. It is about doing the right thing with the right motive in the right way. We get our word poem from the Greek word for do that Jesus uses here when he says, do your righteousness. And any way you translate that Greek word, whether you use make or create or, per or perform or act out, righteousness is something that Jesus expects us to do. Doing righteousness looks like almsgiving, giving free will offerings to the poor and the needy above and beyond your regular tithes. 
Doing righteousness looks like fasting. That means withholding good and necessary things from your body like food and drink in order to train yourself to deny sin and to devote yourself body and soul to God. Doing righteousness looks like praying, which is conversing with God and communing with God in thought, word, and deed, in songs and in silence, in joy and in grief, in anger and in peace. The historic church treated this portion of Jesus' teaching as a basis for spiritual formation. They came to realize that these righteous practices go a very long way towards training your heart and your soul to imitate Jesus Christ. These practices help us tackle the idols of money, sex, and power that threaten us in all ways like nothing else can or does. For example, the idol of money is taken down by the grace of almsgiving. Why? Because generosity overcomes greed. The idol of sex is taken down by the grace of fasting. Why? Because gratitude overcomes gluttony. The idol of power is taken down by the grace of prayer because God's glory overcomes our grandstanding. And since our primary focus is on prayer today, I want us to drill down a little deeper and explore what Jesus meant by prayer. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a part of the doctrinal standards of of our denomination and of this congregation, says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And as a good Presbyterian pastor, I am duty-bound to say that that's right and good as far as it goes. But as a conscientious disciple of Christ, I must say there is a problem with this definition. It starts too far downstream. You see, there's more to prayer than simply offering up our desires and wishes to God. If this is our view of prayer, if this is the way we approach prayer, we end up treating God as some sort of heavenly Santa Claus or cosmic slot machine. We crawl up in his lap and give him our wish list and hope against hope that he might give us what we've wished for. Or we treat prayer like coins and we put enough coins in the slot, we'll be able to punch the buttons to get the treat to drop down that we can take it out because that's what we wanted when we prayed in the first place. I want you to see that there's more to prayer than offering up our desires and wishes to God. And I say this because I don't want us to end up treating prayer as the cash that we offer to get what we want from our cosmic supplier. I don't want us to treat prayer as commerce, but as communion. It's not a transactional duty. It's a transcendent delight. As George MacDonald, one of C.S. Lewis's biggest spiritual influences, put it, he asked the question that we all want to ask, the question that I've certainly asked 
uh, even today. His question is this. If God knows all that we need and far better than we ourselves know it, why should it be necessary to ask him for anything? Have you wondered that? Has this been your question? Why should I ask God for something he already knows that I need? If he knows that I need it, shouldn't he just give it, provide it? And I love McDonald's answer to his own question, the question we all have. His answer is, what if God knows prayer to be the thing that we need first and foremost? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer is that of supplying our great and endless need, which is the need of himself? He goes on to say, communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need. Prayer is the beginning of that communion, a coming to one with him, which is the sole end goal of prayer, yea, of existence in its infinite phases. So what is prayer and why do we do it? And the answer is communion with God. Communion with God. By doing this righteousness in secret, we get to share in God's life. We get to enjoy his company, rest in his presence, grow in grace, commune with God. This is the reward. Prayer in and of itself, conceived of in this way, shows us that prayer is its own reward. Because it's not about what you get or don't get. It's about who you get to spend time with. Flannery O'Connor, the southern Gothic author of stories like Wise Blood and A Good Man is Hard to Find and The Violent Barrett Away, shined a spotlight on what she called the Jesus-haunted South. She was trying to expose the Jesus-haunted South because of all of its religious hypocrisies and inconsistencies. But when it came to prayer... She turns the spotlight on herself, into her own life and into her own heart. And she records that in, in her journal that after praying for many things and not receiving any of them, she realized that her approach was backwards and upside down. And this is what she wrote in her journal. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. She goes on to say that she feared that her ego, that herself would grow so large that she would completely eclipse the Lord. And she confessed, I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Oh God, please help me to get down under things and find where you are. Can anyone teach me to pray? I wonder if you can relate to her anxiety and fear. I wonder if you wish to love and to know God as she did. 
And do you and I want this so badly that we are willing to cry out for help to get out of our own way? For how often have our own egos and desires and personalities and ambitions threatened to eclipse our vision of God? Doing your righteousness in secret Praying with your father offline, off the grid, actually helps with all this. Notice Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And when you pray, again, not if you pray, but when you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, Jesus assumes an awful lot about our prayer life in this teaching. He assumes that we will pray as a rhythm of life. As a rule of life, he assumes that we will pray frequently or regularly, if not daily. He assumes that we will pray personally and privately in designated places devoted to prayer. He assumes that we will pray aloud with our words, not just with our thoughts, that we will actually pray with our lips and not just in our heads. And he assumes that we will participate in a living conversation with the Father. With the personal, infinite God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He assumes a lot about our prayer life, doesn't he? Now, if that does not describe your prayer life, or if your prayer life is more chaotic and better characterized by occasional hit or miss flare prayers offered up to God in moments of crisis, don't despair. And even if you feel tempted at this moment to check out because you're afraid of what's about to come, I want to assure you that what is about to come has nothing to do with browbeating or shame-facing or guilt-tripping. Jesus was a good teacher, and he's trying to help us learn to pray. He's trying to help us get the tools in our hands so that we can commune with our Father. He's trying to teach us the language of God so that in God's household and family, we can communicate with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with each other. So I encourage you to hang in there because real help is on the way. And here's one example. Jesus teaches us to do our righteousness in prayer. And he gives us a very simple method, if you will. Very simple formula. I don't like either of those words, but I can't think of another one. But here's a way to pray. And it's simply this. It's the kiss method, you know? The kiss method. Keep it short, son. Keep it secret, sister. 
That's how you begin praying. You keep it simple. And you pray in the way that you know to pray, using the words that you have, the thoughts and feelings that are in you that you need to convey to your Father. Jesus doesn't say, if you're going to pray, you've got to be a professional prayer. You've got to learn to pray like a pastor or like a priest, and you've got to use flowery language and all the poetic imagery that goes with it. That's not what he says. Now, you might grow into that at some point and praise God, speak to him in that way. But in the meantime, if you're just like a little child and all you can do is babble and barely get the words out, then do that. Then do that. Because when you pray in that way, the Father hears you. Now, Jesus says, here's what you do for kickstarting your prayers. You pray like this. Remember that you are a son or daughter in God's family, and you have the right and the privilege to pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins, as we forgive others, those same things. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is baseline. This is foundational for our prayer life. And it puts us in the family of God using the language of Jesus Christ in our prayer. As the father's children adopted into his family by an act of his free love and grace, signed with water and the word in baptism, sealed by the spirit poured into our hearts. We have the right, we have the privilege of calling God our father. And we have the reassurance from Jesus that when we cry out our father, we get his attention immediately. We don't have to dance around an altar waiting for fire to fall. We don't have to cut ourselves with swords and stones. We don't have to cry out with blood, sweat, and tears to try to gain his attention. Our Father sees us. Our Father hears us. He notices us. He pays attention to us. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When you say, our Father it's as if you are his only child and you get his undivided and undistracted attention. So let me encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer, not only on Sundays, but every day. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Don't live below your privilege. Commune with your Father. Don't treat your free access like a common thing. Take advantage of it but don't take it for granted. As Charles Gore put it in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, we are apt to have free and easy notions of the divine fatherhood. It's important to be reminded that to call God our Father, we must ourselves be his sons. And it is they who are led by the Spirit, they and they only, that are the sons of God. So this, the Lord's Prayer is the prayer of the great Christian family. It is the prayer of the whole church Catholic. And it is when we offer this prayer that we are uniting ourselves to each other in the family of God. 
And then we're lifting up our voices as the children of God to our Father. And we're praying together. But I want you to note this and mark it down well. That if you are not yet a son or daughter of the Father, and if you are not yet a member of his family, not only do you have no right to pray this Lord's Prayer, but the Father is not required to hear your prayer. He's not required to answer anyone and everyone who calls him Father any more than you are required to answer any and every kid that calls you mommy or daddy. Because not every kid is your kid. And you're not the mommy and daddy of every child. Jesus gives us the right by his sacrifice and the Spirit gives us the privilege by his abiding presence in us to call God our Father. Now, this doesn't mean that you could never call God Father. If you want to call God your Father, if you want God to be your Father, the church must also be your mother. Jesus must be your brother. And in order for that to take place, you must be adopted by grace through faith in baptism, which is the adoption ceremony that brings you into the household of God. He's waiting for you. His arms are open wide. His heart is willing to receive you. So don't stand on the outside looking in. Don't wish you could call him father, but can't. Come near. And he'll love you and receive you that you may call him father. Now, over the next week or so, I'm going to share a few more things about prayer practices that I don't want to fit into the sermon here. For the sake of time, I want to draw your attention to a question that we've been asking nearly every week since we started the Sermon on the Mount. The question is this, did Jesus practice what he preached? Did Jesus practice what he prayed? Did he pray the way he preached? The answer is yes, in every way. Jesus practiced righteousness of prayer in secret And he was seen by his father. And if you take the Lord's prayer as an outline of his ministry and life, you will see that he did everything that he told us to pray for in his own life. He prayed to his father in heaven. He prayed when he was happy because the father hid the secrets of the kingdom from the wise and the learned. And he revealed them to little children. He prayed when he was sad. And he went away by himself on a mountain to grieve the loss of his dear cousin, John the Baptist. And he sat in the presence of the Father and prayed. He prayed and hallowed the Father's name by saying, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. He prayed in Gethsemane. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
He prayed and gave ordinary daily bread and fish to the hungry crowds, along with many, many blessings. He met the physical daily needs of people right where they are because the body mattered to him. He provided daily bread. But he also provided extraordinary bread and wine when he gave us his body and blood, when he gave us the Lord's Supper, the family meal, along with all of its blessings and thanksgiving. He provided our daily bread. He prayed for forgiveness of sins, not for himself, but forgiveness of sins for those who sinned against him, whether in ignorance or negligence or disobedience. And his prayer was and is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he prayed for deliverance when the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And his prayers came out in the echoing of the scriptures. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, if Jesus felt compelled by love for his father to commune and converse with him like this in his life, how much more should we strive to frame our life in prayer like this? Jesus practiced what he preached. He prayed what he preached. And he did all of this so that we could do the same in our life. He shows us and he tells us that the Lord's prayer is a life practice. It's more than a rite of liturgy. It is a rule of life. And so if all else fails in your prayer life, pray the Lord's Prayer. If all else flourishes in your prayer life, pray the Lord's Prayer. It covers all legitimate Christian praying. And praying the Lord's Prayer is the highest thing we can do in the way of worship. So pray the prayer that Jesus teaches you to pray. And to be very specific and practical about it, let me urge you to do that at minimum three times a day going forward. Pray the Lord's Prayer when you wake up. Pray it at noon when you break for lunch. Pray it again when you lie down for sleep at night. You might say, oh, no, I, I don't like repetitive set prayers. I'm just do it my own way. Why don't you start doing it Jesus' way first, and then we can talk about your way. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Add your prayers to his. Why? Because when you pray the way the Lord taught you to pray, you'll find that you're never going to improve upon his prayer. You're never going to outgrow his prayer. You're never going to find a way to live without his prayer because his prayer covers all the bases. We began this sermon with a story of St. Augustine and his mother, Monica. And I want to end there as well. In a sermon on Jesus raising a widow's son from the dead, Augustine said, what benefit did the widow's son get from his faith? which he certainly did not have while he was dead. Yet his mother's faith was so beneficial to him 
that he was restored to life. Augustine knew with all his heart that what the widow did for her dead son is what Monica had done for him. And the Lord answered those mothers' prayers by giving their sons new life. In his wonderful book, On the Road with St. Augustine, James K.A. Smith says that praying mothers are like sacramental echoes of the unfailing love of God. Such mothers are preambles to grace, a grace before grace, a primal natal grace. And this mother love, this maternal love, expresses itself in the weakness of prayer yet also in the power of God. And so I want to encourage you mothers who pray to always pray for your children and never give up hope for them. Never stop praying for your children, especially when they cannot pray for themselves. especially when they will not pray for themselves. Ask, seek, and knock. Because the Father who sees you in secret is faithful, and he assures you that your prayers will never return empty. Pray for your sons. Pray for your daughters. You never know which of them will be the next Augustine the next Monica. The poet and priest George Herbert said, prayer is God's breath in man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage. Prayer is God's breath. And since that's the case, my prayer is that we will learn to breathe more freely and more deeply as the children of God and that we will breathe this air of prayer as we travel on the road to the new heavens and new earth where we will be face to face with God forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Lord Jesus, our Savior, let us come to you. Our hearts are cold. Lord, warm them with your selfless love. Our sinful hearts must be cleansed with your precious blood. Our hearts are weak. Strengthen them with our joyous spirit. Our hearts are empty. Fill them with your divine presence. Lord Jesus, our hearts are yours. Possess them always and only for yourself. And make us bold to pray as the children of the Father, as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.